0: Hi, hello, bonjour, and namaste. This is Out of the Clouds, a podcast at the crossroads between business and mindfulness. And I am your host, Anne Muletala. Today, my guest is Kim Walls. Kim is a beauty industry innovator, and she works in the natural or clean beauty space. It so happens that Kim is a fourth-generation entrepreneur and a second-generation health and wellness expert. I found Kim's passion to be infectious, and I really relished the stories that she told me, in particular how she started working with her dad after he founded his own niche luxury skincare brand when she was a teenager. Kim also tells me the wonderful story behind the brand that she co-founded and that she's currently the CEO of, called Fortuna Skin. And it has a really wonderful, even romantic origin story that go all the way to a beautiful space in the middle of nowhere in Sicily. So you really want to hang around for that. Then we get into the thick of it and I ask her questions about what's special, not just about the work that she's doing at Fortuna Skin, But also, what do we need to consider if we are interested in natural beauty and why that matters? We also talk about the key role of technology to help extract the best that nature has to offer. We talk about foraging and how important it is, where possible, for us to take what is in excess rather than depleting the environment. I greatly enjoyed my conversation with Kim and I'm really excited about bringing you this really fascinating, joyful and I think really inspirational interview with a real expert and pioneer in her field. So here we go. Enjoy. So, Kim, thank you so much for yes. being here. <laughs> welcome to Out of the Clouds. Well, thank you. You're most
1: welcome and I couldn't be more delighted to be here.
0: <laughs> thank you. So, as you may have heard before and discovered for yourself, I love to start the podcast by asking my guests to tell their story. Instead of talking about what we do, I like to talk about who we are a little bit more. And I love to find out where people are from. And I know already a little bit about <laughs> where you're from, but I would love for you to tell us that story. So Kim, who are you?
1: <laughs> Literally probably the hardest question anybody could ever ask anyone. <laughs> well, let's the constant start. The journey. Exactly. <laughs> Trying to solve that question. Well, I would start by saying I'm just a girl. When I first heard that question, I thought of the No Doubt song, like, just a girl in the world, <laughs> doing my best.
0: I appreciate that.
1: So I'll start with that. I grew up in many, many places, moved a lot as as a child and had, I think my favorite part of sort of that growing up story was my parents were only together. Long enough to love me into an existence, I like to say. So they split up very early, and my mom went and found and made a home on a 30 acre ranch in Idaho, and my dad stayed in Hollywood. So I split time between like the lights and celebrities and the this and that of LA and the absolute country where I literally rode my horse to school as transportation. So
0: that was great. I, I heard <laughs> that story. <laughs> so I heard you on another podcast, and Honestly, I was actually walking the the brand new puppy. I remember what street corner I was at. I laughed so hard. You rode your <laughs> pony to school,
1: yep, yep, yep. <laughs> My mom and i would she'd she'd we'd ride there together and then she'd lead the horse back and come back for me on the horse. <laughs> <laughs> my best friend at the time, they didn't have horses. They had lots of goats, but no horses. And her father built a little paddock for me so that when I, could, when I went over to their house, which was about a mile away, I would a place put the pony.
0: <laughs> it was funny because during that interview, the girl, I can't remember her name. She's like, oh my God, I'm so jealous. And so was I. My mom was absolutely against me getting on a horse for many reasons. And some of my friends, because I grew up in the Swiss countryside, they came to visit me on horseback well we didn't go to school on the horse but I appreciate the lifestyle
1: <laughs> yeah it was pretty cool it was pretty cool so that was all very formative that in the winters in Idaho or for the in preparation for the winters we would literally can fruit and you know freeze things and kind of go through this because the winters in Idaho are very very rough the weather's extreme I was up on the Canadian border So super hot summers, super cold winters. And LA was just completely different. And I think they were both extremely formative, probably. And then lots of other moving, lived in many other places, Oregon, Washington, Pennsylvania, New York, and existing and sort of living in all those different places kind of gave me a chance to see how many people live, kind of incorporate things that I liked and admired into what I would call my aspirational self. So, so it was pretty neat. And then on the skincare side or the work side, sort of the defining pieces there were my father was an entrepreneur in skincare in the industry. And so I grew up, you know, packing boxes in the garage, putting labels on the eye creams before there was enough scale to have machines do it. And kind of that progression of something into a global business and just living around it felt is the closest thing I could say to an apprenticeship, just seeing it all. So that was very formative. And I learned later, I studied anthropology with a minor in art history and religious studies. So it didn't go into the educational piece there. That was really just kind of following my passions and interests. But I always had the, the skincare and the business and that sort of aspect. And I found it very useful when I started working and found that actually... I did love that and I did want to do that. And I couldn't help myself from starting businesses because I learned very early that that was a way toward a pathway to kind of doing the things I wanted to do. Like after college, I wanted to move to San Francisco and I needed to find a way to have the money to be able to do that. So I was like, okay, well, I'll go start a business there. And it happened to be in the skincare industry. So it became like my tool to be able to follow dreams and passions
0: and interests. That's magic. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> it's so far from my lived experience because I think that there's uh, people listening may be completely disagreeing with me, but I feel like there's something very particular as well about the American entrepreneurship spirit, and yeah. I find that there's a few friends of mine, whether in the east or the west coast, who were already themselves like you, budding entrepreneurs, at an age where. I wouldn't have even known what it was like to build a business. So I read that you're a fourth generation entrepreneur. Is that correct?
1: It is. It is. It runs in the family. And it was all different versions of it. I think much earlier, and especially hundreds of years ago, people didn't use the term entrepreneur. And in fact, when I was young, an entrepreneur was a dreamer and something to be looked down upon. So there's definitely sort of a, a shift in kind of how people relate to words and aspirations but so my father we already talked about and then my grandfather on my father's side uh, was a philatelist which is (laughs) a word that most people don't know he was such an extraordinary philatelist that he was inducted into the philatelli hall of fame or philately i think it is (laughs) it's a stamp collector yeah that's what they do (laughs) and so he started a business he developed. Incredible knowledge of global history and especially in relation to wars and significant moments and politics because that's what's commemorated on stamps. And so, as one of the world's foremost authorities on stamps, he knew the stories behind all of them and started a shop where you know a classic shop with coins and stamps and all of these things, but then also a consultancy. Before Google, you needed people who had historical knowledge and reference points and all of that. So, he started. Working as a consultant for people like President Eisenhower to help them think through war strategies and that kind of thing. So that was his story. And then before him was a brewmaster, made great beer Germany. <laughs> <Incredible>. <laughs> Started business in Germany. Incredible. Yeah. And ultimately sold that business when he you know, well, carried it over to the United States and sold it here.
0: Mm. I'd love to ask you now then what did you want to be when you were a little girl?
1: I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I really, I mean, I loved everything. I think it's probably one of my faults and also one of my benefits. I just, I'm interested in everything. <laughs> I, there was a while I wanted to be an architect. There was a while I wanted to be a professional singer, of course. Worst voice in history, but does that need to stop you? I don't know. Really just anything, everything. Awesome. I wanted to be in the world's.
0: that sounds great yeah so at some point i'd love to find out from you when did you make the not say the turn but where did you focus on clean beauty in your entrepreneurial
1: journey yeah it was always present from when i first started looking at formulas which was for my dad's company I never didn't look at them because I think it had to do with the way I was raised. My mother was a hardcore, call it a naturalist. She only believed in fresh food, like really fresh food, and only believed in natural medicines unless it was an emergency. And sort of she lived that way. And so it was when it comes to sort of self-care, just integrated into my experience. And then I think when somebody knows what we'll call it, I don't know, the freshest egg tastes like and then taste something that's not, you can't not experience the difference in taste and flavor and pleasure and eating it kind of. So it started with food and kind of the difference between what people in LA were eating and what people in the country who were eating really beautiful, freshly grown food ate. And then when I started understanding that I was always really interested in nutrition and looking at skincare and knowing, I guess my dad had a he had a skin disease called vitiligo, and that was his impetus for starting his company at the So his perspective, which I got to experience, was very medically oriented. It had a lot to do with how the body works and body chemistry and ingredients. And so when I started learning about that and how important the skin is in terms of what it takes in and what it gets out it was just kind of obvious that anything you put on your skin is going to go into your body and, and then begging the question, what do you want in your body? <laughs> so from the beginning I, is, is the true answer from the very first time I ever formulated anything,
0: mm. which was about 30 years ago. Yeah. That's fascinating. Cause I feel like when I was listening to other interviews of you, where you talked about again, what you put on your skin. And I remember several examples that you gave that were very interesting. (laughs) I naturally went back in my own history to like the first time that I bought myself like a good cream and I was 20 something. Mm -hmm. And I remember that it was Estee Lauder and I remember what it smelled like. And the first thing that the cream was fine. I did not respond well to this overwhelming scent because I, I think that perhaps it's something that doesn't suit me. And I never asked myself, my dad was a doctor, but then we never really thought about what went on our skin. However, being half French, my mother was always very concerned about what was coming in, (laughs) what what food we would be having (laughs) and its quality Mm -hmm. as well. So I'm fascinated to realize that it took me many years before we started paying attention. Yeah. So would you give me like a little overview of how you went from that time 30 years ago until uh, starting Fortuna Skin, uh, the brand, (laughs) the wonderful company that you're the CEO of.
1: Yeah, thank you. It is a beautiful brand for sure. It was a jungle gym. I think one of my favorite descriptions of of a career is not the corporate ladder, but the jungle gym can go over here for a while, go over there, see which bar you can reach, fall down, climb up the other side. That whole visual for me is really powerful when it comes to thinking about my own career and many others of people who really find the place that they love ultimately to work in. So all kinds of different things within health and wellness, always health and wellness, one version or another. In the late 90s, it was internet startups. In the early 2000s, it was baby skincare because I was just having my babies. My, they're now 19 and 17. So long gone are those days. But it, I always just followed what I was really interested in. I'm a research hound, so I'm an absolute junkie for data and research. So when I get interested in something... I tend to just go deep, get my hands on anything I can, especially original research and read and read and read, end up translating that information into ideas that then i try to parlay into life. And since I I do love working, I love working very much. I mean, the better part of those Idaho days was growing up on a farm. And you know what people say about (laughs) work and farmers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love to work. I work hard, That's and so awesome. trying to <laughs> translate that information and that intellectual stimulation into something I could do every day was kind of how how all of it happened, how everything in my life has has unfolded or pretty much everything, so different types of businesses, but always in health and wellness until. The last one that I founded myself was in the baby space. And then I went to help a, another entrepreneur, a woman who, a young woman who founded a business in the early Instagram days. Really, it was the MySpace days when she started Ooh. and then to Facebook and then to Instagram. <laughs> and she had all kinds. She had an incredible brand, an incredible mission, huge drive, really just it just an impressive person, but her business was kind of falling apart around her because she didn't have any big experience. So we were, I guess you could call it matched by somebody who'd been a mentor to me and on the board of, a, and an investor in a brand I'd previously founded. Mm. And so I spent three years with her helping to put a business infrastructure in to match the, you know, to try to match at least the beauty of the brand that she created so that mm. it could go on and thrive. So that was... Did that for three years, and then right when that was closing down, winding down, we we were working on selling it. And as that was happening, I met Agatha, and (laughs) sparks flew, you might say. So she had you know this incredible story and also passion and drive. I guess that's consistent for me. I love to be around people with passion and drive, (laughs) around wanting to create a skincare oil out of the oil from she and her husband's farm in Sicily. She had been telling her pediatrician, a man named Dr. Alan Green, who was, again, medical director on a previous brand I had founded, and we stayed close, she was telling him that she wanted to do this. And he goes, you need to meet my friend, Kim. (laughs) And he made that happen. And it was just really instant. The the easiest way to put it is the day Agatha and I met is the day we started the
0: brand. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a pretty special combination
1: of factors and times in people's lives and skills coming to the table. And yeah, that sort of magical thread of someone who knows two people who's like, yep, those two.
0: (laughs) I think that's quite magic. I do too. (laughs) Mm, Thank you. That's amazing. So I spent a little bit of time on your website. It's very enjoyable. I actually went on Google Maps (laughs) because I wanted to know (laughs) where in Sicily was the farm. So I have a visual now. And for our listeners, it's south of Palermo. I wanted you to tell us the story behind the brand. So there's you, there's Agatha, Mm -hmm. but there's something very romantic behind it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, in many ways, actually, metaphorically, actually. Mm. Did you want me to tell you the story? Oh, (laughs) yes. I can't tell you how I, I never, I love this story so much. It's, it's like, I'm the person who pretty much watches nothing but rom-coms because I love romance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this, is, this is the ultimate story. Oh, yeah. I think of, of romance in so many ways. So um, Steve Lusso is Agatha's husband And Steve has Sicilian roots. His nona, his grandmother, was from Sicily. And for economic reasons, she and her family had to leave Sicily when she was very young. But she had all of these wonderful memories of Sicily, and she would share them with her family. She would regale Steve with tales of Sicily. And these stories included things like, goats that had horns that were bigger than the goats themselves. And you could go out for miles and drink water anytime you were thirsty from any stream as it fell from the rocks. And then <laughs> <laughs> in the community, how they would sit at tables and laugh and spend hours and everybody loved everybody and everyone uh-huh. had purpose. And you know, it there's just this incredible stories. And her sadness came through to Steve and he has great empathy. And he, as a 10 year old little boy said, Nona, someday. I'm going to go find that land and buy it back for you. And he did. <laughs> Agatha and Steve, when they decided to start their own family, they now have four beautiful children. Um, but as they went into that journey, they went to Sicily and went to go find that land. And they worked with the church and they worked with the government and they worked with the people and they ultimately found it. Record keeping wasn't so robust you might say in certain areas at certain times but they did they found it it was a quarter acre parcel and on that land they found the rubble of the foundation of her original home and they rebuilt it yeah they bought it and they rebuilt it at that time they also looked around and saw that it was still very poor people weren't having access to education they didn't necessarily have cell phones wi-fi and electricity in the way that you might they um, industry that was once there hundreds of years ago was gone. The agriculture moved elsewhere. Tourism wasn't a thing because it's in the middle of the island with almost impossible access, which I can attest to. Because the last time I was there, I almost killed myself and four other people in a car trying to get there and pouring rain on a dirt oh. road <laughs> to drive up a cliff. Oh, man. <laughs> and so... They made a commitment to the community, to each other, to themselves, to do what they could to rebuild this this dream, which create an infrastructure an economic and uh, community infrastructure. And I think one of the cool things about it, and this is you know, something I, I will admire forever and admire tremendously, is that, Steve, I like to think of people as, and I say to my kids and to myself, like, use your power for good. We all have powers, like, in one way or another, use it for good. And Steve had been uh, ranked one of the top five CEOs in the world by Harvard Business Review, an incredible businessman, like extraordinary. And he knew when he looked at this community that he could create economic goodness, bounty, because of his experience. And so they committed to do that. And what that looked like was an agreement to... By any land that was adjacent to his grandmother's including as it grew for anybody who wanted to sell it and to provide employment to those people and they would do that by building what's now a 17,000 square foot olive mill state-of-the-art and planting something like 12,000 olive trees (laughs) and working with Dr. Marino Pasquale who was there with them from the beginning. He's Nemo. Everybody calls him Nemo. He's the world's foremost authority in Sicilian botany and double PhD, biology and botany, he started understanding the land, looking at it, trying to identify what's there, it hadn't been cultivated for over 450 years. So I found all these incredible plants and essentially put together we'll called a dossier, a Bible, <laughs> what have you, of what plants were there? What, what were they used for? How were they food? How were they medicine? What was the oral history of them, the written history? Um, and it was, it was that compendium we <laughs> given give a million different names that Agatha showed me when we met. And that was kind of, yeah, uh, given my background and, and interest in food, nutrition, natural medicine, skincare formulation, I saw this list. And was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> this is incredible. Wow. So in any case, back to the story of the farm, they spent many years, I think we're, we're 12 or 14 years now, building... An olive oil brand with Steve. Uh, it's called Bona Fortuna. And it's they have all kinds of things at this point: ancient grain pastas, tomato sauces, empty pasty. I mean, I, my cabinet's half filled with this food. It's incredible. Salts, fennel pollens, I mean, you name it, it beautiful almonds, just glorious food. Uh, and so many years into that journey, they is when Agatha, who has Croatian roots with her family, they used olive oil for everything for beauty. Skincare, rashes, hair—you name it—and she just kind of got obsessed with this idea. Like, this olive oil is so incredible; we need to use it to for
0: our skin. <laughs> and and she pitched that to you, and you were like, "Yes,
1: <laughs> yeah."
0: <laughs> wow. well, I, so,
1: in truth, I didn't know the true potency of olive oil. I don't have Croatian roots; I have German roots.
0: Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. <'cause- laughs> so. I was recently in Italy and in Germany, so I appreciate the difference.
1: Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it was the wild plants that got me and it was the story. As somebody who has built brands and helped other people build brands, there are sort of pillars that have to be present. There has to be something real and true and differentiating. There has to be a story. There has to be like, you can have a great product and many brands don't even have great products. So there's there's a a soup that makes the opportunity to create a brand, and this was a soup unlike any I'd ever tasted.
0: I'm loving your metaphors um, <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely because you're segueing into my next question without, oh, what without... is it <laughs> Well, I read a really great quote from the forbes Forbes article that came out recently. Mm. and I think that it does encapsulate part of what you explained about the mission for for the farm and the brand. So I'll read it for the listeners because I think it's interesting for them to understand the depth of care that I think I found particularly fascinating. You said, our mission is to leave the people in places we touch better off than, than when we found them. We advocate for the health of humans, animals, and the earth through our business practices, products, and passion. The extent to which we seek to leave things better than we found them translates into more common industry practices like using glass bottles and organic farming methods to the extraordinary, like participating in the creation of seed banks and reviving nearly extinct species of flora. We protect bird species and biodiversity. Yeah, I know I keep going, but it's it's big stuff. (laughs) By supporting none within a biopreserve and help provide financial stability and education to the local community where our ingredients are grown. Wow. (laughs) Big goals. It's great. Can you just do that with other businesses? Can you take over? (laughs) (laughs) Can't we do that everywhere? Can you imagine it <laughs> like? <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine
1: it. I can. I can mm. see it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think it's, it's possible. Oh, it's
0: <laughs> funny. Hold on a second. So I have a weekly newsletter and I was about to, I'm going to read you this quote. It's by James Baldwin. It resonates. He says, the world changes according to the way people see it. And if you alter even by a millimeter, the way that people look at reality, then you can change it.
1: <gasps> Ooh, that
0: just gave me chills.
1: I, know. I Please send that to me later. <laughs> I love
0: that. <laughs> oh, so that. Uh, it's just, uh, it feels very powerful. And now you told me more about Steve. I feel like part of the question, you've answered it already. But how much did this vision evolve as you built the project? Or was it all there in Stephen Agatha's mind as you set off on, the, on this journey?
1: The vision for the brand wasn't there at all. Mm-hmm. The vision for using your power for good, Mm. to go back to what I said before, that's there in spades. That thrives and flourishes for them in how they approach their lives at a magnitude I've never experienced firsthand. It's huge. So it's inspiring. It's present in so many of the things they've done and how they live. I feel like a fan club right now, but it's real. (laughs) It's true. Like to see people really give the way that makes sense I think is really powerful I think it was just yesterday I saw a news article about the founder of Patagonia who donated his I saw it yeah yeah so when you see there's there's sort of an accumulation of power and wealth that can be very damaging and harmful I mean really it is it's not can be it is and so when We get to see people. I mean, to go back to your quote, when you change reality just a little bit and you see people doing things like that, I think it's, I mean, I'll just go ahead and call it a bandwagon I want to be a part of. Like, sign me up. Yeah. Yeah. Let's shift things. I'm thinking the same. Yeah. So when it came to the farm and the work that was happening there, you know, Fortuna Skin is a standalone brand. It's not connected to the farm, and that work is happening at the farm. It's it's our business practices going back to that that allow us to help support these endeavors. And it, it's it's like an aspen grove where all the roots are connected underground. If we're all working together in one way or another, putting positive action into the world, then it's just going to keep growing. And so. On that farm, it's, it's the epitome to me of regenerative beauty, regenerative lifestyle. And that's something I feel very connected to is how can we regenerate the things that are around us? How can we fix the things that are broken, that are worth fixing? And the work that's being done there is a microcosm of what I think is possible globally. So if we can showcase that, harness it, grow it, then we have an opportunity to really participate and then also show others what's possible.
0: Thanks, I agree. I think that's why the story, I guess, is so important as much as the product and the truth of the work that you do. It's such a big deal to be able to show people the possibilities that are out there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was um, earlier today, I was listening to uh, one of the, the TED podcasts with Jane McGonigal, who wrote a book recently called Imagining. And she's a, a futurist. So her, her job basically is to imagine the future. And oftentimes it's difficult to project if we have no example or no idea what's possible and we're not being taught how to dream outside of the reality that we see every day. So it resonates. I'm the one being a fangirl now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hop on the bandwagon. <laughs> Absolutely. So, there's a couple of things that I read about the practices and, and the techniques that you use that I felt very intrigued about. The first one was the foraging to find the plants. Could you please talk about this a little bit?
1: Absolutely. This comes back to Nemo and his skills and expertise, and that's who I mentioned before, a double PhD in botany and biology. So he. not only is able to identify, it's kind of amazing to watch this guy walk through a field and be like, this is that, that's that. Oh, sure. Those two look exactly the same, but no, no, this is this and that's that. It's amazing. So he really has that knowledge. It's, he's, he's been his whole life developing that knowledge base. And so what he's doing now is, and this is part of the economic stimulation aspect is he's teaching others how to do it and overseeing them. So the teams of people who go and forage for us are growing as we as a business grow. And he's educating and teaching and creating more space uh, and scalability as we grow to do these things. So the foraging, it's an interesting concept to think about how that can scale because it's really something that's always been very niche, very small. And that's kind of critical to or historically critical to Protect those species because if you you take everything, then nothing will grow. So there's a balance to it, and there's also an element of timing. So there's a biodynamic component where you're looking at sort of different times of day, different seasons, different moon cycles, all of that. But then there's also how much do you take? You know, sort of what's the excess? What is the land's excess so that you're not hurting anything? And then when is the right time? You know, as the petals are just before they may fall, or which is both an aspect of protecting these plants' ability to keep growing and, and recurring, you know, recurring species. But then there's also a potency aspect to that. So at certain times of day, certain plants have more nutrients in their petals or lesser, or you know, they have their own circadian rhythm, really, is what it comes to uh, in the same way that we do. And so when you pick them or, or reseed or any of those things, well, we're not reseeding the foraged, we do also have cultivated olives, obviously.
0: Yeah. Wow. Plants, circadian rhythm. Yeah. <laughs> and someone knows about them. Yeah. That's, yeah. Again, quite yeah. magic. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for indulging me. I, I, I feel like I better understand it. I like the way that you put it. Understand what the what is the excess that you can take without depleting the, mm-hmm. the land. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I uh, was very curious about was your ultrasound technology mm, yeah. for extracting active ingredients. Would you explain to us what it is?
1: Indeed. So the ultrasound is it's a technique that was developed within the pharmaceutical industry, started coming into practice around twenty twelve, and. So I guess going back to my history in this industry and always thinking about natural plants and organic practices and all of that, there are lots of challenges, inherent challenges in working with materials without creating them in a lab because you have the opportunity to be precise in the lab, whereas (laughs) there's a different kind of precision in nature. And so figuring out how to access that was our challenge. So historically we for raw materials in the industry might have inconsistent extraction levels, inconsistent potency, um, inconsistent, essentially it all ends up being inconsistent performance. And so an expectation evolved within the consumer base of like natural doesn't necessarily work. Clinical stuff's going to work better. The thing about that is that it's, it's fundamentally wrong because if you think about the origin of clinical, it's plants. Medicines come from plants. Yeah. So something was getting lost in translation, essentially. And we wanted to go back to, we'll call it the divinity of nature and sort of the 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 unknown of how potent and powerful that is. So starting with the fundamental belief that these plants are far better at perfection than humans could ever be when it comes to producing the chemicals they need and surviving. They've been around a lot longer than us, and Magnolia. For example, is the one essential oil we use fossilized about 100 million years? That's a survivor. Right. <laughs> so, perspective. When we're talking, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, our goal, our fundamental goal, was how do we protect and preserve the potency of what the plants have, and then get that all the way to the bottle. And none of the methods that I was aware of, and you know, probably anybody was aware of in our industry, could do that. So we went looking for other things, and we stumbled across ultrasound in pharma, and adapted it, and made it ours. We gave it a name—it's our sound bath extraction method because that's what it's sound, right? Sound waves, ultrasound, and the visualization of that is—if you can imagine—a giant stainless steel vat with either water or, or really, it's hydroglycerin or olive oil, and then add the wild forage plants in very specific ratios in combinations designed to create specific skin outcomes and sealing it off, penetrating it with sound waves. A few minutes later, you have separated. Essentially, the cell walls, the fibrous components burst open and the active ingredients come out into the solvent, which is either the olive oil or hydroglycerin. And then that becomes a raw material we can use to formulate the skincare products with. So it's
0: protecting that potency. Wow. I so want to see how you make that.
1: <laughs> it's really <laughs> you, cool. You
0: painted a picture and I feel like I can see it. That's very, very cool. I mean, nerdy, but cool. Oh, I'm such a nerd. I love it. <laughs> love it. It's, it's really wonderful. Mm. Now, outside of your own brand, because I, I heard you say, and I think this is very true For most people who work within a brand, you also love lots of other products from other companies, but you were offering some thoughts to consumers out there who may not be able to get your product, either because it's not available or because of the price point. Let me say it right. I heard you say in an interview that because something's natural doesn't mean it's good for you. (laughs) And I thought that was something important to talk about. So you've mentioned not everything is effective, right? Hmm. But when is something not good for your skin?
1: So I'll go to an extreme example Mm -hmm. first to just kind of, I guess, explain a little further the idea of not everything that's natural is good for you. I think sometimes it's easy for people to hear something over and over again and for it to become part of the zeitgeist this idea of being like natural is good, natural is the best, natural is the only way. And and sometimes I think things get out of balance. You know, for example, if you're having a heart attack, you need emergency care. <laughs> there's like all, we have lots of greatness that's fully synthetic. And you know, thank goodness for those machines and what have you. And then there's natural, but so I think that we got a little carried away we being sort of the zeitgeist with this idea that if it's not natural, I don't want it or only natural is good. And natural doesn't mean anything. There's no real definition for it. It can be interpreted in so many different ways. And so I think I don't want people to have the misconception that just because something is natural or maybe more importantly advertised as natural, that it's good or better. It's not necessarily, there's a lot more to it than that. You
0: know, arsenic is natural. <laughs> Thanks for that. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> I hear you. So going back to the olive oil and your exciting, let's say technological setup, you have this amazing face oil. Would you tell us about that? Cause it's really quite, I mean, I've, I've had the chance to try a couple of your products and it's really quite extraordinary. Can you tell us what's special about it? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> is Thank the you name, for loving it. The name is Due Alberino. It's uh, two trees.
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah. For the two
0: trees that were original
1: for the farm. Uh, uh-huh. All of the names, everything, everything about what we do has sort of layer upon layer of nuance and story behind it. But most people can't pronounce that word very well, including me, because I'm not Italian. So really what we call it is our biphase moisturizing oil. And what's important about the biphase aspect is that it's made of olive leaf water and olive oil. And going back to that with the active ingredients added in. So going back to that potency concept and idea, the olive oil and olive leaf water that's coming from the farm are massively and extraordinarily potent, far more than your typical commercially available ingredients. So, for example, olive leaf very popular it's a popular dietary supplement has all kinds of great studies around it the double blinds all kinds of things for for both skin and and nutritionally for all kinds of disease states so we wanted to test and so we used a third party to do so the olive leaf water that we are able to make at the farm against commercially sourced olive leaf water and found that it's 300 percent more potent more powerful than commercially sourced wow. so the yeah the level of potency that we're talking about here is it's not small <laughs> and the results that can come from that mm. not small, so mm. that's the the really it, it's back to this you know potency drives performance, and these are mm. wildly potent ingredients that's the heart of why it works yeah. and the olive oil is. Well, as we talked about a little bit, Steve and Nemo and the people on the farm, Agatha, have been working to create extraordinary olive oil for over a decade now and have have done so. The olive oils that come from the farm are globally award-winning. Japan, France, United States, everywhere it goes, it's winning awards. And where I think that's really interesting from a skincare perspective is that a big part of how these oils are judged is their flavor. Mm -hmm. And there are three pillars of flavor that are evaluated, pungency, fruitiness, and bitterness. Mm -hmm. And each of those flavors, we experience them in our palate because of the key chemicals that, that drive those flavors. So for example, oleoropene, oleocanthal, these are very powerful active skincare ingredients. And the level of flavor and brightness that Mm. this oil has that you can taste is a great way to understand the potency that's in it and how that's driving the skincare benefits. So things like oleocanthal are extremely highly anti-inflammatory. And when we can take inflammation out of the skin, reduce the redness, reduce the free radical damage, all of these aspects, the skin is better set up to regenerate itself Mm. and to build collagen, to prevent the breakdown of collagen, to use the nutrients that it's getting from our blood, use that oxygen to shine, to use your word. <laughs> mm,
0: absolutely, yeah. Oh. Mm. I'm so glad that you explained that because of course it's, it stands to reason that, that there is something between the taste and the chemicals and, and that what's very special is going to be very special in, in multiple ways. So I believe you're also bringing... Your Fortuna olive oil out on the market soon. Am I correct?
1: Yes, it launched two days ago. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. This is Agatha's brainchild and very much a dream for her to mm. bring together all the aspects. Um, of what olive oil can do to all the different ways and modalities to create health and to see that olive oil in our skincare as well, I guess back to make sure I answer your question about the bi-phase moisturizing oil. Oils on the market are insufficient to hydrate because they're only oil. You can't, you can't create moisture without water. And so the way people were understanding oils was that they were kind of an end all be all moisturizing product, but that would only be true if they were using hydrating products before, or if they had just come out of the bath or shower where the skin was already plump and filled with ample levels of hydration. So we, part of what we wanted to do with our skincare is create multi-beneficial products. And by combining the oil with the water, it becomes a, a deeply moisturizing and hydrating single product. And then it also has stabilized vitamin C added to it, which helps to prevent the formation of dark spots, age spots and to help deal with sun damage. And then also something called Exposome 360, which is the survivor plants on the farm. They're really, you know, the ones that really, you kind of look at them and like, how are you alive? You're like hanging off a cliff. You have no access to water. Or, you know, you're sitting at the top of the hill, you're in a sparse environment, getting beaten by the sun and whipped by the wind. Like, how are you alive? (laughs) So those plants have some pretty amazing chemicals in them that we're able to harness to create skin health and to help the skin defend itself against all the things it needs to, or they're called extrinsic factors. So maybe it's air pollution or... You know, car exhaust or what have you, sun damage, blue light, kind of all the things where the skin's just being beaten up every day. These plants are sort of the first defense, the army there that kind of helps fend off all those awful things.
0: That sounds wonderful. And no wonder it feels so different than regular oils. Yeah, it feels like silky and. I don't know. Anyways,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So the bi phase that you mentioned that is our bestseller, mm. and I think it it helps when the celebrities fall in love. So there's Haley Bieber, sure. Julia Moore, and that makes a big difference for us. And I think that's probably one of the main reasons it's the bestseller. Um, my personal favorite is the replenishing balm. It's the mm. blue balm. I put it on every night before I go to sleep, and it's mm. one of the two products that has that magnolia in it that we mentioned earlier.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> that, Magnolia.
1: Yeah. So that is, I wouldn't even call it part of my skincare routine. I'd call it part of my bedtime routine. So I do my skincare every morning and every night in the bathroom, but the, the replenishing balm, I keep on my bedside table and put it on as a thick mask before I go to sleep at mm. night. And that's, that's sort of the symbol of anybody who's around me, like no more talking. No, no. No questions. No ideas. It's bedtime.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's very sweet. It's making me want to segue. You are a wonderful entrepreneur and, and we'll talk about some of your other ventures in a minute. You've got a busy household. It's true. This
1: is true. <laughs> <laughs> you do not tell a lie.
0: <laughs> right. I appreciate that. I will think about putting that on the nightstand as well. That makes sense. <laughs> I was going to ask you, or to ask Claire, your PR, when do you use the bulb? So now I have my answer.: I.) Now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the first experiences that we get with a brand, apart from, you know, the the usual suspects of Instagram and websites, let's say when you're in a store, is of course, is the packaging. And it's, I mean, I've worked in luxury for a long time. So I've seen my fair share of luxury um, packaging in my life, but it feels very substantial. And one of the first things that I guess I felt before I even considered forming, formulating this in, in a question It feels so substantial. Throwing it away feels almost disturbing because the quality Mm -hmm. of the glass, it's amazing. Like Mm -hmm. I'd want to turn it into something else. So would you tell me the story of this beautiful, beautiful packaging and and maybe what you've got in mind for the future? You bet, yeah. I feel the same way, by the way, about the bottles and the packaging. I haven't finished the product, but I'm already thinking, (laughs) but I can't throw it away, so.
1: So I have so many uses. I have those bottles under multiple purposes all over, as do my friends and my children. Yeah, it, it is. They're beautiful. I agree. This really comes from Agatha's exquisite taste. She started modeling early and when she was 16 for Chanel and Yves Saint Laurent, and I'm sure you would say that better than I would say it. Go ahead. Yves Saint Laurent. Do it right. Save me.
0: Do you mean Yves Saint Laurent?
1: Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> so she really has a deep understanding of what luxury looks like, feels like from that packaging perspective. And she she's our chief creative officer and drives that that aspect. When it comes to things like refills and how can we preserve this packaging and not have to throw it away... Well, for one thing, it's recyclable and made of sustainable materials. And we're you know, always, always working to keep pushing that forward as options become available. But refills are a huge priority for us. And this is where you get into the sort of business aspects and where does business meet mindfulness? And there's a certain scale that we have to have to be able to introduce those kinds of aspects. So, it's about the future and it's about growing large enough to be able to do all the things we want to do because once there's scale, there's much more opportunity to keep driving forward in the, the vision, which is this regenerative beauty vision, which includes creating better and more packaging options, you know, as we go along with better or not better. Cause I don't, I truly don't believe there's a better product in the world, but more great products. <laughs>
0: That sounds great. Mm. Did I also read the glass was formulated specially?
1: The no, the cap.
0: Ah, the caps.
1: Yeah, one of the aspects that we that we were paying attention to is how people use things and how to make this lifestyle and these ideas really just easy and fall into our everyday choices without struggle. And sometimes it's the little things. And Agatha came up with the idea of having magnetized caps for the spatulas. So with the replenishing balm, the eye cream, the day and night creams, they're in jars and jars, by the way, the alternate to that would be for those types of products is tubes. And the glass jars are far, far better for the environment. than tubes so it, just a point of like where these come in so then you need a spatula right keep your product clean keep, the, <laughs> keep things out from under your fingernails and so having magnetized caps is something that we, um, we have included with the packaging.
0: That's so cool. <laughs> I have a very selfish question <laughs> so I have sensitive skin I need to protect mm-hmm. it from the sun and I love the sun, <laughs> so I need a really good SPF. And I know that it's very hard to formulate a natural SPF. Is this something that you're considering doing in the future?
1: That's a big yes. When is that? We're not sure. Aspect. Maybe you already know this, but most people don't. Olive oil, in and of itself, has an SPF of about eight, clinically tested. Oh no, so
0: I did not know that.
1: Yeah. So anyone who's using the bi-phase of the replenishing balm or any olive oil-based product, if they've got enough of it on a full layer, that is a, a low-level SPF. That is not something I'm claiming for the brand. That would be against FDA regulations. We do not call our products sunscreens, but uh, it's just knowledge, right? That, that some of the things we put on our, our skin have the ability to do that. On their own. So when it comes to SVFs, it's actually another business question. So the regulatory bodies around it are very complex. The distribution is very complex. The It varies significantly by country. So one of our goals for Fortuna um, is to be global and we are currently in Europe and the United States and hopefully going into Canada and Australia in the not too distant future. So the compliance around sunscreens and the different regulations vary really dramatically country by country. So you end up with a lot of business complexity, which can interfere with the true growth of the vision. So it just becomes something that makes sense to do later so that we can stay focused on the things we need to focus on now. But yes, I want one. I formulated several natural sunscreens before. I wouldn't actually say they're hard to formulate. Mm -hmm. Just it's all the complexity outside of creating a beautiful formula. Mm -hmm. Right down to things like, you know, in the US, the FDA won't recognize the the built-in SPFs like an olive oil SPF 8. So you have to use these certain approved ingredients. Many of them are harsh and harmful chemicals, (laughs) as we know, you know, not reef safe, not all these things. And so what we'll ultimately need to do is a lot of our very, very expensive and very, very long time consuming, getting through from a regulatory perspective, our own formula, it's not reliant on those. So it's just in order for us to do it at the level we do things, we need to do it later.
0: It makes sense. And I would say that your answer also explains why the few small brands that I've come across, for example, in Europe are not sold outside of the country that they're in. <laughs> You'd find a great one in, in the European Union and another one in the UK, but then they're not available in Switzerland and blah, 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 blah. Anyways, mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense. And the, the beauty world is is very complex. You must be very patient. It is. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm driven by by loving it. So yeah. it works out.
0: <laughs> so you've built a few other brands and two of them were actually skincare for children. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that very briefly. So yeah, two of them were for children and one in particular, I was very curious to, to hear you telling me how did Best Ever Baby come about? And because it's it sounds really very special.
1: Yeah, thank you. Well, so when I had those boys I told you about, the 19 and 17 year olds, I went looking for skincare for them. And given my experience with Epicarin and my need for natural, (laughs) organic, whatever we want to call it, clean, Products, they really didn't exist. There were a few natural brands out there, and I found their textures to be kind of gross. And then a couple, one in particular, that was still using things like parabens that I, you know, I just don't have a confidence level that they're truly safe. So I decided to start making baby skincare and to meet my own needs and turned that into a brand. And alongside that brand, I started. A nonprofit endeavor called Best Ever Baby. So the brand sold, but the acquirers weren't interested in the part where we worked with hospitals. So it was actually the first one was, was purchased by our Chinese distributor. And the hospital work that was in the, the bulk of sales were in China. <clears throat> and the hospital sale the hospital aspect was in the United States. And at the time there were some pretty harsh and harmful chemicals being used on babies in as they came into the world. And it offended me. (laughs) I sort of took that onto my shoulders as offensive. And I think the, an equally large offense was that I believe parents really want to do the best by their children. And so they're in there thinking they're making the best decisions that they can and being told by the, we'll call it the advertising or marketing machine, that they're making good choices and getting their information through mechanisms that are not about health, but instead about profit and being misinformed. And then they were finding out later, oh, wow, I've been, you know, using these things that are getting into my baby's blood and building up a body burden and all this other stuff. And then I felt really bad for the parents who (laughs) were unconsciously doing this. And then they're guilty, right? It's hard enough to be a parent or then they're beating themselves up for not knowing it's like, Hey, you know, we all did the best we can with the information we have at any given time, <laughs> in any case, I, I really wanted to try to shift things in the hospital setting so that those first experiences that parents and babies would have would be healthier and oh, yeah, just healthier. So best ever baby was about at the time, um, a collaboration of natural brands, that wanted to get in front of parents and babies so instead of using bleach cleansers maybe it was some other form of cleanser instead of using diapers that are filled with chlorine maybe it's you know some other forms i pulled together maybe 15 20 different brands who would put samples in little bags and then we would give them for free into the hospitals. And from a business perspective, it was an opportunity to sample and get products in front of people's hands. And then for the parents and children, it was a way to protect health. So I felt really good about that, but it wasn't um, a profit center. So that was going to be discontinued. And then the acquirer of that first brand decided to stop selling products into the hospitals because the margins weren't good enough. And the distributor and several of the hospitals were like, Wait a second. We love these products. So they came back to me and asked me to make them more products <laughs> for another brand. <laughs> and I was like, no, I cannot do that. I cannot oh do that. <laughs> and so I partnered with the distributor, and we created a joint venture. And I did all the things, you know, did all the testing, did everything that was needed to give them what they had asked for. And so now that that's BEB Organic. BEB is an acronym that comes from Best Ever Baby. So it was sort of the next, the next generation of it. So it's, it's a beautiful little brand and it's used primarily in NICUs for premature babies. And you know, again, since you focus on business aspects, the reason that's possible is because of the mess that is insurance and what what budgets people have to support health. And there's a larger budget for premature baby skincare, so they're able to use better products. And that's where that brand thrives. So preemies are are brought into the world in a slightly safer way. I mean, you know, they're struggling to survive. So it's kind of hard to think, oh, yeah, skincare is important. But actually it is. Their skin thickens in the last couple of weeks of gestation. And so when these babies come into the world, they have incredibly thin, fragile, delicate skin. And then on top of that, it's being poked and prodded and scraped and taped. And so they're right, yeah. <laughs> Not to bring us all down here.
0: I know. But <laughs> it just—I I can feel it almost as if it was happening to me.
1: Okay, sorry. Moving on. So that brand—it just exists, and it exists by demand, and and
0: that's just that. <laughs> that's really wonderful. A brand that exists by demand. Yeah. That's very it's cool. small
1: it's a tiny little the percentage of babies that are born prematurely is very small. The thing is it's better skincare. it's great for any baby and it's great for any sensitive skin but that's but it's its origin is sure. that super fragile or even you know, to your point, you mentioned you have sensitive
0: skin that's super mm. sensitive skin yeah that's really, really wonderful when I was going through the website and in the various interviews i've've read or listened to. Oftentimes you mentioned wellness rituals and of course we often think of skincare when we think of wellness. And you know that the podcast is at the crossroads between business and mindfulness. (laughs) I'm always curious to find out for all of the guests that I have, what are your own rituals? What are the things that keep you balanced, grounded? What works? Walking.
1: <laughs> That's my number one, walking. I think better when I'm moving. And sometimes I, the form of thinking better is not thinking. <laughs> I can kind of take it either way when walking. That's for sure the most important thing for me. I also love water. So showers, baths, hot tubs, like any sort of being enveloped in that sort of womb-like state uh, of water is really soothing and comforting
0: to me mm, that's lovely, and during the last couple of years, which i 'm sure must have been super challenging because your brand was launched in November two thousand and nineteen, mm-hmm. were there any new rituals, practices, or things you 've added that have supported you or helped you be more resilient?
1: Music has come back into my life in a way i sort of i 've always loved music i took in high school, I found out that you can take music appreciation and get credit for it. What? I was like, what? Exactly. <laughs> so I learned that my junior year and then proceeded to have a music appreciation class for every year of education after that, which was six more years. So I really, I love it. I love all, almost all music, especially classical and classical. I'd kind of lost it. I sort of stopped listening. And I think partially as technology moved into new apps and I was like, oh, I don't really want to learn a new app right now. And uh, I think there, I had a little bit more time during COVID and so started, I think we all, you know, got more and more immersed in technology and music came back to my life. So I think that's probably something that was really helpful.
0: It's funny that resonates with me, even though I was an aspiring singer and I, Practiced and sang and was on stage many years. I feel like music is not so present in my life anymore. Yeah, that's uh, making me think. On a completely different topic, I also heard that you have several beautiful dogs at home, and that you <laughs> <laughs> and that you grew up with boxes. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. I grew up with them since seventeen. Since so they weren't my childhood
1: dogs, but okay. this, they, I've had animals my whole life, lots mm-hmm. of them. <laughs> and I do love boxers. They have an exuberance that's unlike any living things exuberance I've ever experienced. It's mm. just, I mean, it's something to wake up in the morning and be greeted by a boxer or to come home and be greeted by a boxer. It's like so validating.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So I just adopted my first puppy. I'm a cat person. (laughs) This is a big step. (laughs) I have a puppy and a kitten currently sleeping on either side of me. So my life is decent. Do you have any tips for a new dog mom?
1: I do. I do. I I don't even, I don't think this applies to you, but I think it applies to a lot of people. So (laughs) I think there's a lot of misinformation around the idea of discipline and animals. And I, I think the more people can recognize that Animals sense your experience before you even know you're having it. And if you're unhappy or displeased with them or pleased with it, they know. <laughs> and disciplining and training is, is not... It's about just consistently sharing your experience with the animal. <laughs> like They want to please you. Maybe not cats, but we're talking about dogs here. So, so they will do anything for the most part for the person or people they bond with. And so when it comes to training, it's there's really no discipline necessary. It's just about guiding them into what you want. Thanks
0: so much for saying that. Yeah, I did start reading and watching some, some training videos with some wonderful uh, trainers who were saying very much the same thing. Like the way that I heard people talk about dog training when I was a, a kid growing up, is essentially the exact opposite of of what we should be doing.
1: Yeah. And people still speak that way. You know, there are still many, many people who will tell you to smash your dog's nose into a pile of poop. I know. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and so no judgment for people who are doing that, just a request to maybe keep learning.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Keep learning. That's a good one. So before we move on to my closing questions, I was wondering, is there anything you'd like to add perhaps about the brand or anything else that yeah we haven't covered in this interview so far?
1: Just gratitude for you. Appreciation for the stories you're bringing to life and for thinking that mine is interesting enough that it's worth sharing.
0: <laughs> Thank oh, you. It's, it's wonderful. And I can't wait for even right from the start I mean, riding your pony to school, that just, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> isn't that just wonderful? Well, I'm going to send it right back to you. I'm so grateful to have had the the opportunity to go beyond the surface because I think that whenever we have a chance to be inspired by what others are doing, when we see pioneers in any industry, I think it's Just a a rare privilege, not just to get to know you and and speak to you in person, but also in the small way that I can give more of a platform to the work that that you guys are doing, because it really does feel very special and and something that I hope can touch others um, in the nearest future possible. (laughs) So, (laughs) with all that said, here are some of my favorite questions, and I can't wait to hear your answers. <laughs> so Kim what is your favorite word one that you would and I'm not saying you should but that you would tattoo on yourself yes <laughs> okay good one. that's a good word and you said that you have a you've recently acquired a tattoo
1: yes I have it's a symbol it's not a word mm. although it does spell my name it has a K oh. and an I and an M in it, but you wouldn't know that just looking at it. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's awesome. What does it represent?
1: I think I've spent a lot of my um, life not being tuned in to what I need, <laughs> trying to uh, do a lot and say yes a little too much and, and things like that.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, how these two things are related. That's amazing. And so it's just a, a reminder to have
1: a self-confidence and self-esteem and self-worthiness and all those things that I, I truly believe everyone struggles with. And
0: mm. I'm one of them. That's wonderful. Thanks so much for sharing that. That's very special.
1: Oh, it's I realize.
0: Real. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It really, the struggle is real. That's for sure. Um, what song best represents you?
1: So I have, this is obscure, but I was asked this by our CFO lately because we were doing a team building exercise. So Fortuna Skin is a globally remote business. We don't have a central place. We have people in Paris and Dallas and New York and all over. So figuring out team building is is a business challenge. But so we actually did an internal game with this one. So I really I went digging and I found it. I found my song. It's by a woman named Sonia Spence. And it's called Talk Love.
0: Oh, I can't wait to listen to it. So we've got a Spotify <laughs> playlist from Out of the Clouds, And it, the wonderful thing is how wildly eclectic it is. So are you uh, I can't wait
1: to listen. I will
0: send it to you. <laughs> um, What does connection mean to you?
1: Connection and intimacy are very much interwoven. And I, I'm not to exclude romantic intimacy, but I, um, but not specific to that. and. to feel connected it's my favorite thing to feel for starters I love feeling connected and it means feeling like I'm in an emotionally safe space surrounded by love and able to be vulnerable without feeling judged and able to return that and have that be a reciprocal space that is what connectivity connection is to me
0: Mm. thank you so much What is the sweetest thing that's ever happened to you?
1: It's sort of the same. I mean, truly, the sweetest thing was, there was a time in my life when I completely gave in to who I am and all the things that have made me who I am, including the things I wasn't proud of. And I have a relationship where I'm fully present and a moment where I felt fully accepted for all of me. And
0: I think that's it. That's so <laughs> fantastic. Mm. That's a very, very special thing. I recognize yeah. that. I know what you mean. Yeah. Or in my way, I resonate. What is a secret superpower that you have?
1: Curiosity. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the researcher. Is that, is that what yeah. it is?
1: Yeah, infinitely curious. And I think, I mean, this is another one I really had to think about. But the, I think the gift that the curiosity gives me is that it's very, it's a a leading trait in my personality. And I get curious before I judge. So I'm able to, I work to not have judgment in my life. I think, you know, we all do. And it's an important part of life to be able to discern and judge what works for you and what doesn't. So not to diminish the importance of judgment, but Sometimes I think everybody can be a little too judgmental and limit their opportunities, limit their chance for connectivity, limit themselves. And I think I, I think it's a real gift that I'm super, super, super curious because sometimes I don't give myself time to judge until later. And then there's less judgment.
0: <laughs> uh, that's so fantastic. I completely understand. I really do my best. I agree with you. Of course, discernment important, but I really, I personally feel coordinated when I feel judged. And that's one of the things that makes me recoil. And so I try not to, as much as I can, judge other people. But I also found when I was studying to become a mindfulness meditation teacher, that whenever we come across something difficult, in particular, if we get curious and we start to decompose, let's say, the experience, whether it's a feeling, an emotion, a thought, we can't feel two things at the same time. And curiosity immediately takes over. Um so it just it stayed as a as a real it stayed as a real secret superpower that we could <laughs> all do with accessing more regularly. How funny. Uh, what is a favorite book that you could share with us?
1: How I built this by Guy Roz. <laughs> I listened to all the podcasts and I bought the book when it came out. I was so excited for him. And I think it's so cool that that these stories get told of how people build businesses. They're you know, very much in line with, with what you do uh, and how you share stories. I think that book shares a lot of interesting stories.
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan of his actually. He's such a great interviewer and I haven't listened to it very much recently, but he's... I mean, incredible. I forgot about the book. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Two more questions and I will let you go. (laughs) Where is somewhere you visited that you feel had a real impact on who you are today? The
1: bottom of the ocean.
0: Oh, (laughs) retell.
1: Scuba diving. When I learned how to be at the bottom of the ocean and look around, surrounded by water thinking about breathing unable to think about anything else really but just filled with wonder uh I carry that with me that experience of feeling like I'm at the bottom of the ocean looking up into infinite everything
0: I've not done that yet
1: (laughs) (laughs) but if you're not claustrophobic it's really something (laughs)
0: Imagining that you can step into a future version of yourself. What most important advice do you think that your future self would come and give you present time you?
1: Well, I wish I was a futurist, but I'm not. (laughs) Unlike imagining. I'm very excited Mm -hmm. to read that book. But if you always know you did the best you could, then you'll never have any regrets. So, always do your best.
0: Mm. Well, this is my final and favorite question of all. What brings you happiness?
1: Connectivity. <laughs> Am I boring yet?
0: Nuh uh. <laughs> Not to Consistent. me. Well, give me that. Consistent. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you did say that you, the state that you love the most. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. Kim, thank you so much for giving me so much uh, of your time today. It's been a real pleasure and I want to stress an opportunity for me to learn. I mean, we barely touched on all of the things that you know about the skincare industry and, and what you're doing specifically around natural beauty. So I encourage everybody to go to the website for Fortuna Skin. And of course, all of the details will be in the show notes. Thank you for what you're doing and I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. In case people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you if they'd like to connect?
1: Kim Walls LA on Instagram, Mm K-I-M-W-A-L-L-S-L-A. Thank Thank, you again. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time with me. I really appreciate it.
0: I hope we'll get a chance to meet perhaps one in person. Let me know next time you're coming to Europe. Do and
1: vice versa for Los Angeles.
0: Absolutely. Thanks so much. All right. You're welcome. Thank you. Take care. So, friends and listeners, thanks again for joining me today. If you'd like to hear more, you can subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice. If you'd like to connect, you can get in touch with me at Anne V on Twitter, Anne Mullethaler on LinkedIn, or on Instagram at underscore out of the clouds where I also share daily musings about mindfulness you can also find all of the episodes of the podcast and much more on my website and vmilitale.com if you don't know how to spell it it's also going to be in the show notes if you would like to get regular news directly delivered to your inbox I invite you to sign up to my monthly newsletter so that's it for this episode, thank you so much for listening to Out of the Clouds. I hope that you will join me again next time. And until then, be well, be safe, and take care.